Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner with Pastor Jay here, uh, wishing you a happy new year as we've come through this Christmas season. I pray that all things were beautiful for you, that all things were bright for you. I know that there are a lot of folks that, that are in our area that are struggling, that are suffering, and so we definitely want to continue to remember them in prayer asking for God's richest blessings to be upon them, that his comfort would overshadow them during this, this period of their, their suffering. But I do pray that, that beyond what is considered normal, that the Lord had an opportunity to be able to really touch your heart this Christmas season and to really bless your soul. And so today, what I want to do is I want to carry on with the Gospel of Luke. Now, we have gone through the Gospel of Mark and there are several books that we've actually done together. So we've done the book of Hebrews. We've done the book of Peter, for our, I believe, Second Peter. We've done the book of, of Mark. We've done the, let's see, done the book of Revelation. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different books that we've done. But from the Christmas narrative, I would like to carry on with the Gospel of Luke right now. And we'll be able to see... Uh, in Luke, a lot of the ties that he makes with Matthew and Mark's gospel, and one of the fascinating things about Luke's gospel is that God had given him a unique sense to be able to tie the other gospels together and fill in the gaps of a narrative of Jesus' life. Luke traditionally is not one of the apostles. He's not one of the guys that, that was uh, following Jesus necessarily as close as the 12 apostles were. But he is a man, he is a doctor, he is a man that, that, that followed the apostle Paul, of course, and most of the writings that Paul had spoken into existence were penned by Luke while, while Paul was in jail. So he was a physician that was, that was caring for Paul. But he's also well acquainted with these Gospels, and he's trying to speak to a gentleman in, in Luke's Gospel, as you'll find in chapter number 1. He's trying to speak to a gentleman named Theophilus, and, and he's sharing an account of the narrative of Jesus' life, basically writing to him to implore him to trust in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord. And what a beautiful account that he, he you can see Matthew's writings, Mark's writings, even some of John's writings that are going to be summed up here in the Gospel of Luke. And so it's a very powerful gospel and one that I truly enjoy reading. Also, you'll find that that Luke is very detailed. Whereas Matthew was detailed, but Ultimately, his detail was towards Jesus as being a king, as Jesus as being the Messiah to rule and reign. Luke's detail really brings out the man. It really brings out the humanity and the connection of humanity that God has through Jesus. And so, we're <clears throat> really going to be thrilled about that. And here, I'm going to bring you to Luke chapter number 2 today. And as we break into prayer, we're going to come back to Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 41. And we're going to talk about Jesus as a young lad in the temple. Father, we're thankful. We ask that blessing upon us, Lord, as we dive into thy son Jesus' life. We pray that you will just well up within our own lives through the Holy Spirit, Lord, and give us that beauty of connection with you, that sense of belonging, Lord, 
For indeed you have chosen us. And what a blessing it is to be chosen. Father, we thank you, asking that thy blessing be in our soul, in our heart, in Jesus' name, this day as we study. Amen. Luke chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 41. The scripture, as it reads down, says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now, if if you recall in our studies of Luke, we're dealing with the with the end of Jesus's life. We come upon the three spring feasts of Israel. Those three spring feasts, as recognized in Leviticus chapter number twenty three, are the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. Now, the Feast of First Fruits and the Passover are both swallowed up in the overall banner of the eight day festival called. The, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And and the beauty of this is, is that this is one of the three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths are, are the three feasts that are required by everyone to to come to Jerusalem. You had to come. It was pilgrimage time. And so is recognized by Jesus' parents, bringing Jesus, of course, after he has been uh, brought to the arms of Simeon after he has received of his circumcision, after he's gone through all of the the different requirements that, that Judaism requires in order for him to be be brought into the fold, so to speak. Now at 12 years of age is revealed in verse number 42, and when he was 12 years old. So throughout the life of Jesus, we rarely see anything going on in his youth. Of course, we know all the events that took place when he was born, which were tragic events dealing with the slaughter of of mothers and children all the way from two years of age and and down. We know that it it wasn't just Bethlehem. We learned that just a couple days ago. It wasn't just Bethlehem that the children were slaughtered, but, but Herod went on a rampage that literally slaughtered the children all the way down to the borders of Egypt within his influence and control. So, I mean, <clears throat> that guy went hog wild in in the killing, but we we don't hear anything about Jesus in in um, Egypt. We we don't hear anything about Jesus in his youth uh, up in Nazareth. And we have this one account where we connect with Jesus at twelve years old. Well, often people have interesting ideas about Jesus, like. Like he popped out of his mother's womb, like fully capable of taking care of himself. He popped out of his mother's womb, fully fully God, of course, in which he was. But the assumption is, is that he could, you know, mind tele, telepath to his mom that I'm hungry to eat. Or he could talk or he could do, you know, he just popped up and started walking. Some fanciful things going on. But Jesus is revealed in the connection with this humanity is is having the same challenges that we do. You know, babies don't don't start off talking. They have to cry in order to be able to get what they want. And then we got this song that says no, you know, away in the manger. Uh, it says no crying he makes the little Lord Jesus, you know, asleep on the hay. Well, no crying he makes really. Uh, the only way for babies to be able to communicate with their parents that something is wrong, that there's a need, is to cry. They don't know how to make any other noise. <laughs> so you you find that it's it's only up until this point where we come across Jesus once more at 12 years of age. Now, this would be 
the same thing happening over and over and over again through, throughout the years. I mean, ever since he was a little one, Jesus would be going to the temple. He would be going uh, with his family every year. But here at 12 years of age, we have something amazing that takes place at this point. And, and what's really exciting is the fact that at 12 years of age, Jesus understood exactly who he was. Jesus understood the connection that he has with God. He understands everything about his nature at this point, being, being absolutely fully God, but recognizing the limitations of the flesh that he's, that he's engulfed in, that he's trapped in. And so at 12 years of age, he went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast, which is a requirement, really. And, and by the way, the parents were, were literally exemplifying uh, God's love to Jesus by bringing him to the temple, by, by fulfilling the law, not only fulfilling the law, of God, but teaching Jesus his own word. I mean, teaching Jesus the law and then living that law out. So something important for uh, people who claim to be Christians today is it's not enough just to, to mention Jesus every now and then to your children. It's not enough to take your children to church every time the doors are open or every Sunday thinking that you're doing a good thing. It, you've you've got to teach what you live, and you've got to live what you teach. In other words, you've got if you're going to teach the children about Jesus Christ, you've got to live the Word of God. And, and you've got to teach what you live, okay? And then you you in living the word of God, the children are going to learn from your life what you love, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and where you're going, and why you're going there. And so you're going to live what you teach and teach what you live. You've, that's what you've got to do. By the way, the reason why we have no youth in our church today is because people were teaching what they wanted to live and living what they were teaching, but it wasn't Christianity. It wasn't, it wasn't the gospel. It, it was hunting and fishing. It was, it was playing and, and, and vacationing. It was money and, and work and all these other. It was football and basketball and baseball. It was all these other things that were of more importance than God, God's house, God's work. And then you say, well, I don't understand why we don't have any children in church today. <laughs> They'd be here if you had lived what you taught or taught what you lived or both in Christ. <laughs> but they're not because they, I, they, they followed you. So you're wondering why they don't go to church today. It's because they followed you. And I know that's not a very popular thing to say, but eventually some some of us are going to have to stop and back up and, and look at the realities of our life and say, you know what, you're right. They followed me, and I led them straight into apostasy or destruction even. Well, it's never too late to repent, and it's never too late to, to live what you hope to teach. It's never too late to teach once you begin to live. But you got to make that choice. Jesus' parents made that choice. And they, they sacrificed work, they sacrificed money, they sacrificed 
uh, in many ways their lives to be able to ensure that their children would come up knowing uh, God, believing in God, Messiah. They knew who their son Jesus was. They knew they knew what he was here to do. They knew uh, they wanted their other children to to follow Jesus. And you know what? Uh, out of the apostles, two of them were were his uh, stepbrothers, as it was. Uh, out of the apostles, and and the book of Jude is a half brother Jesus. The book of James is a half brother Jesus. I mean, you, you you see all these folks that 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 come up with Jesus, and they do. They follow him. Why? Because their parents, because Mary and Joseph taught what they lived. They taught what they believed, and then they lived it out so the children could follow it, so they understood why they were doing it, why they were following. Nevertheless, he's 12 years old when he goes up from Jerusalem to the custom of the feast. And in verse 43, the scripture says, when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, in other words, they were heading back to Nazareth, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother didn't know of it. <laughs> Jesus is about to get in trouble. <laughs> and it's fun. He, he's not committed sin. This is important. Yes, he's going to get in trouble. But it isn't because he committed sin. It was because there was there was a fear in Mary's heart that something bad had happened to Jesus. But it it isn't because he sinned. He's actually where he's supposed to be. He's in his father's house. He's He's doing his father's work. Father was not Joseph. Joseph was the legal guardian that God entrusted to raise his child. His father is God, and so he's exactly where he's supposed to be. There's no sin in him staying behind because he's staying in his father's house. And so it's very important. Some people say well, they, they try to make Jesus out to be a sinner because he stays behind at this point. But Jesus has not committed sin. He's obedient to his father's will. Now, his parents have blessed him, uh, by his, his mother anyway, let me say it that way, his mother and, and Joseph have blessed him by raising him to be obedient to his father's will. But as Jesus is at 12 years of age, he's fully cognizant, fully able to, to, to know and to make these decisions on his own accord. And of course, at 12 to 13 years of age, he's going to go through his bar mitzvah which means son of the law. The mitzvahs are the law, and the word bar means son. So when you hear about a young Jewish boy that, that is going to have his bar mitzvah, what it means is he's going to be uh, ceremonially welcomed into adulthood. He's going to be ceremonially uh, brought in to the synagogue or into the temple even as a son of the law, meaning he he now is going to belong to God. And, and so Jesus is there in the temple doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. But, you know, oftentimes we as parents, because our children are always going to be just that to us, no matter how, how old they get, they're always going to be our children, we worry about them. We, we, we you know, we, we get nervous over the things that are going on in their life. We, get, we have that challenge of desiring the best for them, even though it isn't within our, our capability or even within our sphere of power to be with them or bless them anymore because they're off on their own. We, we realize that, that we still have this challenge of wanting the best for them, no matter how old we get, no matter how old they get. 
And so there's this challenge when Jesus stays behind and Mary and Joseph, they take off a day's journey that uh, they're, they're just, Mary was scared for her son. This this is bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh after all. As much as he is God and as much as Mary was pondering those things that had been spoken to her for, throughout these years about Jesus, still she has that 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 emotional connection of humanity with him that that she fears for him and for his safety and for his suffering. <clears throat> and so when it comes to 43, it says when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and, and his mother didn't know of it. But they... Mary and Joseph, supposing him to have been in the company, the company meaning that from Nazareth there was a huge group of people that would travel down to Jerusalem altogether. So, you know, the, the, the group of children that would have been playing around with each other, Jesus would have been in the midst somewhere. I mean, some of his brothers and sisters would be born between Mary and Joseph at this point, plus the other kids that would have come down in the caravan of people that have left Nazareth to come and worship God at the at, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So surely, you know, that he was in the company somewhere. I mean, he wasn't exactly with his mama and daddy, but he, he's somewhere around here. They traveled a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk. They're looking for him. You know, it's time for dinner at some point. <laughs> you got you to gotta get back with your family. And the kinfolk and acquaintance... But when they couldn't find him, in verse 45, they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And by the way, as was said throughout the Christmas season, wise men still seek him. Note the fact that it's using this term, seeking him. They're, they're longing. The, the concept of seeking is, is a searching that, that is with purpose. Right, a, a, a lot of people come to church to, to discover, maybe, or a lot of people come to church to try and figure out things or they, they they're really not coming to seek because the, this concept of seeking him is is intimately researching they they've come in they're they're immediately once they walk through the gates of Jerusalem they're asking uh, different people have you seen my son have you seen this boy and they're they're, they're seeking him they're they're searching with an intended purpose they're they're desiring to find out you know they they don't know where he is a lot of people who who don't know anything about christianity often will pass it by but the many of you who have received Christ as well as I <clears throat> have begun be, begun to be interested. We we heard the gospel and we said, oh, and there's something different about this. I want to know more." And so we would we would listen to different preachers, and we would listen to this, and we would listen to that. We would we would seek out a teacher, in other words, a pastor. We would we would begin to attend church just to hear this message, just to discover what it means, and as, as we begin to. See Seek Jesus. Indeed, if you seek him, you shall find him. And that's exactly what happened here in verse 46. It said, it came to pass that after three days, oddly enough, 
three days, you, you'll find the con- the parallels and the connection. The three days in the grave, what were they doing? They were they were seeking his body to be able to dress it with those spices that they had prepared. Uh, after three days, they they were they were Mary and, and the other ladies were coming to the tomb. Peter, who who heard that the, the Savior had been resurrected, he took off running with James and John. They came to the tomb. And they were seeking him. And we would be wise to continue seeking him in these four o'clock hours. And it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. Sitting in the midst of the doctors. These were not MDs, okay? In much of the society around us, a doctor actually was, was one who was an educator. And so to be a doctor was to be a, a master of your craft or a, or, or a master of your field and to the point where everyone else revered your wisdom and knowledge. And so it, it came as a position of experience, not, not a position of learning. And so being a doctor was that which was recognized. Actually, in the, the Bible college that I attended, oftentimes you would find that the chancellor of the college would be, would be giving an honorary, what is called an honorary doctorate. And the reason behind the honors being conferred upon this person of being a doctorate is because of the recognition of the the multitude of years of serving Jesus and and working in in the field of his kingdom. And so it would be it would truly be an honor to to bequeath this this particular title and all that is conferred upon that title unto these these folks every year. Uh, would be the blessing of the honorary doctorates to be given out because of the multitude of years of experience that these pastors would bring and 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 the revelation of Christ that they would have been for years putting out into the kingdom of God and increasing that kingdom. And so it it's almost more of a treasure to find someone in especially in the realm of the gospel ministry to find someone as a treasure that that has served the Lord it with so many years that they would be conferred this honor of being called doctor than for for somebody just to do two or three years of following a curriculum after a master's degree in some college and them saying, okay, you've done enough to be a doctor. I would rather follow the, the doctor that spent 30 years laboring his soul in the field of God's kingdom bringing in the sheaves than I would some kid that that spent 12 years in college and hasn't even begun serving the Lord yet in in a ministry uh, when you when you consider what the actual definition of this kind of doctor found in verse number 46 is give me the man that's been in the dirt I could care less for the professors that have spent their life hiding behind the walls of their seminaries or hiding behind the walls of their their colleges and never really meaningfully being out in the field serving God. And so you'll find that these doctors that that are in this temple 
are those which have been conferred uh, this degree upon as being the professors or the educators of of the synagogue schools around Jerusalem, of the temple, and of the Sadduceeical school for the priesthood. And <clears throat> so they were sitting around Jesus. He's, by the way, 12 years old, okay? Never, never mistake being young for being stupid because young people are not stupid. Young people are actually much smarter than than we give them credit for. And though they haven't had a lot of life experience yet, I know plenty of people in their 70s who can't figure out how to use a cell phone. And I've got uh, my granddaughter at 18 months, or not even that. What is she, 14 months? Yeah, a year and three or four months old that that can call me on FaceTime and talk to me, even though she doesn't know how to talk yet. So don't don't mistake youth for for not being intelligent. Oh, believe me, they they learn at a much more rapid pace than than we do as we get older. And so uh, here Jesus is at twelve years of age. He's sitting among these these leaders of their respected fields of knowledge, these doctors, he's listening to them, and then he's asking them questions. And as you consider these guys as being the tops of their fields, in verse 47 it said, they heard all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Well, this is a 12-year-old snot-nosed kid. They don't expect him to be able to know anything. The way that they the way that they raise or engineer, as I should say, is this, their society is the same way that we raise and engineer our society today. Ultimately, we suppress children to thinking that they can only know so much and they can only go so far. We pick some of the children out among the rest of the pack and move them, accelerate them forward a lot faster and a lot farther because we believe them to be a lot more intelligent. And, and the rest of the rabble we keep all together bottled up in, in, in one basic little bubble of grade point average, and we keep them separated from the accelerated or from the, the governor school level. And, and so in that separation, we hinder an entire society by only being able to know so much. When in fact, what a blessing it would be for those who are who are superiorly intelligent to be able to actually sit down alongside of those that are struggling in intelligence and and help them to gain more intelligence. That the the, the wiser of the children could come alongside the the more difficult and challenged children and and move them along. Their peers working with peers, bringing up a whole society into a solid position of intelligence. But we just don't do that. And a lot of times you'll find in in the Hebrew society, they didn't do that either. So, you know, picking on everybody at this point. But Jesus at 12 years old, we're knocking these guys out of their chairs, mainly because I firmly believe that Jesus knew exactly who he was at this point of time. I believe that Jesus had a direct connection with God, with his father. I believe that his communication had reached a point where he knew exactly who his father was. He's talking to his father daily. That's why he's in the temple now instead of following Mary and Joseph. I believe that Jesus is is intimately connected with himself as concerning the word of God and that that which they are reading, he is hearing and he knows 
you know, it's kind of like a person that writes a book. When you're reading a book to a person that wrote it, they say, no, 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 that's not the inflection and tone that I meant in that character or in that place. Or you're reading this book and and, and you're saying, so is is this what it's trying to say to me as, as you're reading the book? And the, and the person that wrote it says, no, no, no. What this means is, so as Jesus is the word and as they would be reading or discussing the things of the word of God, they're basically telling Jesus what he wrote. <laughs> they're basically telling Jesus what what God thought or what he had said. And, and Jesus, as God, he knows exactly what the Father's thinking. He knows exactly what the Father said. He he knows what, what uh, Moses wrote. He's the one that led Moses to write it. He knows he knows what David wrote in the Psalms. He's familiar with Solomon's work in Ecclesiastes. He's, he's, he, he knows these guys. And so as they come to him and they're speaking to them concerning the Torah, they're speaking to him from Deuteronomy or they're speaking to him from Numbers or they're speaking to him from Leviticus. Jesus knows exactly what these things are supposed to be. He knows exactly what these things are supposed to mean. And so he's there and he's asking them questions and he's understanding what they're saying and it's astonishing them. I mean, it's amazing to them that this 12-year-old could possibly conceive those things which they're teaching because even even the adults are having a hard time understanding those things which are being conveyed by these teachers, by these doctors. And yet Jesus is just fine. He's receiving that and saying, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I remember my father saying that. Yeah, I, w- I was there when he said that. <laughs> Can you imagine the astonishment of him saying, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was there with them. That, that, that was what I said. And when Mary and Joseph, they catch up to him, it says in 48, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, I <laughs> love that. Now, keep in mind, she does have claim to be able to say this to him. She can call him son. He is bone of her bone and flesh of her flesh. Make no mistake about that. And so she can lay the claim upon his flesh. Now, the man, Christ Jesus, she can claim the, the or clay, she could lay the claim upon his flesh and call him son. And so she says, son, why hast thou dealt with us? What? Why, have, why have you done us this way? Your father and I have, have looked for you and we're sorrowing. I love what Jesus has to say right here. Look at what Jesus has to say in verse number 49. It sums up everything that I believe about Jesus and his connection with understanding who he is in spirit as God as well as his connection by his Father to mankind through the flesh. And so though Jesus recognizes the, the, the Godhead within him, his connection with his Father, he also recognizes mankind in the connection with his flesh. And so as they come to him and they... Yeah, they kind of fuss at him. You know, why why are you doing us this way? And and you you'll find that Jesus, he says, "How is it that you sought me? Now, why in the world are you looking for me? You you should know where I'm 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 supposed to be. You should know where I'm at. How is it that you sought me? Don't you understand that I must be about my father's business? Now, granted, it's been twelve years. And so Joseph is, is, is trying to understand this very comment because, of course, Jesus is referring to the Father as concerning his Father in heaven. And, and so 
Joseph has been 12 years in the charge of Jesus and, and, and has, you know, how we get. You know, we get to serving God. It's exciting for the first couple of months after our salvation, but then we get into this lull where we get into commonplace. And so, uh, you know, serving God is just another weekend. It's just another day. It's not something that we that remains fresh in our soul. We end up uh, actually kind of getting all kinds of other things back into our lives after our thrill of salvation kind of seems to wear off. We start getting all these other things back into our lives, and ultimately we'll we'll end up having to uh, become burdened a little bit about being uh, in the service of God because we have so many other things that we could be doing and so many other things that we might would rather start doing than doing this. So, you know, Joseph is one of those guys where, he, where he's bewildered by this. I mean, you know, you're supposed to be following me. And then when Jesus says, I've got to be about my father's business, Joseph's thinking, well, then get your butt back up to Nazareth and get the hammer back in your hand and let's do some chiseling and let's make some tables and let's make some walls and let's build some houses. I mean, you know, if you're going to be about my business, you got to be there to be in the business, okay? So quit hanging behind at the temple and get your butt in gear. Let's go to work, you know, kind of thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus' recognition is who he is as Messiah is, is full. It's complete. He knows who he is. He knows what his work is to, to do. He knows what he's got to be done. He knows who he is. And in fact, verse number 50, it says they didn't understand what he was saying when he spoke to them. And he went down with them. In other words, Jesus said, all right, I'll follow you. You know, I'm 12 years old. I get this. I'll follow you. He went down with him, and he came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. You you often see Mary holding on to the things that Jesus says, pondering them in her heart, holding on to the things that the wise man says, and, and thinking on those things in her heart, holding on to Gabriel's words, holding on to Simeon's words. There, there, there's so many things that, that Mary, you know, she, she questions him. She says, look, why weren't you with us? We were sorry. And, and Jesus said, I got to be about my father's business. As soon as he said that, Mary Mary just silences. She shuts down. Because there's a piece of Mary, there's a place inside of her that remembers all the other prophecies. That which will be born of you is is of the Holy Ghost and the God will overshadow you. So you know that this belongs to God. So I think personally, this is just Jason here. I think personally, Mary understood when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Mary understood which father Jesus was talking about. That Mary realized, okay, this is, this is the Messiah. So Mary actually made that connection when, when it says she just pondered those things in, in her heart. Mary made that connection of, you know what? You don't belong to me. You do belong to God. Joseph isn't your father, and the temple is where your father is is worshipped and, and where we worship your father. So you're right. You were exactly where you were actually supposed to be with your father there in the temple teaching and learning. But as we discover Jesus, as it says in 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God 
and man. The very, the very mediator be- between God and man is, is increasing here. And of course, the scriptures say in the teachings of the apostle Paul that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. What a blessing it is that, that in the favor of God, Jesus could convey the message to man. And in the favor of man, he could actually connect with man to bring man to God. And so he's, he's teaching what he lives, and he's living what he teaches. What a blessing it is to receive this truth today, and possibly the blessing of repentance. Maybe you have not been living what you've been trying to teach. Or maybe what you've been trying to teach hasn't been what you've been living. Now, understanding that children will learn and grow more from what you do and how you live than what you say and expect them to learn. And so it's very important that in all your doings, you're really bringing the gospel into it all so that the children are learning what the most important thing is, and that's Jesus. And perhaps there is a necessity of repentance in this day, because perhaps the things that we have taught have not been Christ, but have been whatever our passions are that we are more intimate with than God, God's word, and the the ministry of Jesus. Say, but isn't the ministry of Jesus just for you pastor people? (laughs) Not at all. Because us pastor people started as 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 you pew sitting people. (laughs) Pastors come from the people, right? We didn't we didn't just get born in an egg that was that was titled pastor and separated from the rest of the people and then then pushed into the society once we were grown. We came up in the pews. We came up in the Sunday schools. We came up in, 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 in all of those things alongside of all the rest of the people in a congregation. That's where we came up. And, and you know, we, we celebrated all of the, the holidays, everything, just the same. But what's different is is the passion of, of those who had raised us in the Lord. In my case, it was the passion of of the Jones family. It was the passion of Pastor David Jones and and his wife, Miss Miss Linda Sue. It, it was a it was their passion that that truly caused us to live Christ in everything that we did. And and as as we taught Christ, we lived Christ as best we could. As we live Christ, we teach Christ. And 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 so that was where we grew up in, in the Lord, my wife and I. And so we longed for our children to grow up in a home where the where in everything that we did, because I wasn't always a pastor, I was bivocational much of my existence. And so I worked fifty or sixty hours traveling out into the field doing some uh, labor jobs and, and, and lots of different things, but bringing Jesus into it so that when the children would come to church and they'd see a new guy show up at church, they'd say, oh, who is that? And and mama could say, well, daddy was inviting him to church and now he's come. And and, and you, you have that connection. You know, th- that was was teaching them to live 
and living so that what was teaching what was taught was was seen and received and god willing the grand experiment of of our children will will come to fruition as as they're following jesus just simply following jesus and that's that's what we as christians are called to do so may this message touch you today. May the life of Jesus impact you. May, may the connections with Jesus and man guide you. May, may Mary and, and Joseph and their reactions be, be felt by you. May Jesus' statement still baffle you. And, and may this day be blessed to you in Jesus' name. Father, we are grateful. Be with us the rest of this day and give us a privilege, Lord, of living it well in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. God bless you guys. Keep you guys and cause his face to shine upon you. I'll see you later.